Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Six Figure Strategies Podcast. If you're an agent or an investor yet to hit six figures, this is the show for you. We take a deep dive into strategies to help you achieve the goal of six figures so that you can grow up to seven figures eventually. All right, guys, if you are looking into learning how to create content to grow your business, we have the show for you today. Super excited to be sitting here with Philip Van Dusen with Verhel. Um, he has a YouTube channel with 275,000 subscribers, and he's going to tell us how he did that. He's going to talk us through how to get through the fear barrier and also some content creation ideas for you guys. Um, Philip, thank you so much for joining us, man. We'd love to jump right into it. Like anybody out there looking to start a YouTube channel, what would be your first tips for them? Yeah, Tim, yeah. great question. Thank you for having me on the show, number one. And um, I think that, yeah, you alluded to it in your introduction that the a lot of people think I, I want to start a YouTube channel. You know, they think it, it would really help my social media. It'd be interesting. You know, I like these other people's YouTube channels and, you know, some of my competition is killing it on YouTube and I just better get in on the game. And that is a very smart um, uh, thing to be thinking, number one. And there's an SEO component to this too, which we should also kind of loop back to, Tim, which is kind of mm -hmm. important um, in terms of YouTube. But one of the things that people run into very quickly when they're thinking about starting a YouTube channel is they freak out about being on camera. And it's, it's like, you know, when you were a kid and the first time you heard your voice recorded, you're just like, oh my God, that's my voice and you hate it, right? I mean, it just sounds completely unnatural. Well, that times 10 is about what people experience when they start seeing themselves on video because it becomes very apparent all of your idiosyncrasies and quirks and, you know, that little wrinkle that you hate and um, all that sort of stuff. And so there's this fear barrier that you have to kind of face and accept and plow through in order to start doing uh, YouTube videos. And one of the things that I recommend people do is basically start just recording some talking head videos, you talking into the camera with the intention of never posting them. And what that does is it gives you the freedom to screw up and to look dumb and you record like five or 10 of those just to get used to the fact that you're talking to an inanimate object and then watch them and really kind of pay attention to how you're coming across. One of the things that people realize very quickly is that you have to act. You have to kind of like pump up the personality. You have to pump up your energy, like much more than you think that you should or is comfortable to you. Because when you just talk into a camera, you come across, everybody does, comes across as very dead, very, you know, kind of deadpan. And, you know, my first 20 videos are so painful to watch because I feel like I'm just like a, a corpse. <laughs> and so you got to pump up the energy. And so doing these practice videos will really help you kind of realize that and realize like how much you have to pump it up in order to feel like you're even talking like a normal human being. So that's, that's step number one is do some practice videos. And then the next big hurdle is to post one. And, you know, starting your channel, naming it, if you're building a personal brand, you should probably name it the human name. Even if you have a company, if you're in real estate, I would actually recommend that you name it a person name rather than a company name. 
One of the reasons for that is that YouTube's algorithm has a tendency to promote human beings more than it does companies. And so you could be, you know, Fred Smith from XYZ real estate, but putting it under your company banner is makes it less attractive to people to watch number one. So you get your channel set up, you know, do your branding, your artwork, your logo, your banner on your channel page. And then you just got to post that first video. You got to kind of bust the chair. You got to like put it out there and expect that no one's going to watch it. And mm -hmm. if anyone watches it bonus, right? Yeah. And you probably don't even want people watching it anyways. Cause as you mentioned, your first 20 videos are going to be a little bit rough. They'll be bad. Anybody well, this is the funny thing about video because I think you improve at such a rapid rate. They're like anything for me, I'm like a rolling 30 days. If I look at anything I did 30 days ago, I'm like, wow, I used to suck. Um, if I look at what I used to do like two years ago, it's just like, wow, I really used to suck. <laughs> so um, it's just important to note that. Um, before diving a little bit more into the fear and, and the progression there, I'd love to ask you a question in pertains to real estate because you mentioned personal names are preferred on YouTube. And I would just like to dive a little bit deeper in that because I know a lot of people having success in real estate, it tends to be the same exact channel name, living in city name. Um, so is that hmm. a good way to go or do you prefer the personal name? Well, if you, here's what I would say about that is that if you, I prefer a personal name because number one, it's not limiting. Like if you build a YouTube channel, you may think that you're going to live in Houston your entire life and you're going to be a Houston real estate expert. Well, something may happen that you suddenly are moving to San Francisco and your entire YouTube channel that you've sweated over and worked your little tail off over is suddenly going to be worthless because it's called living in Houston. And unless you want to keep doing videos about Houston when you're living in San Francisco, you don't want to be limited like that. So I recommend people dial in as much flexibility as they can. Even if you work for a company, say you're a real estate agent and it's not your company, but you work for Brown Hair Stevens or something in New York City. And you, you may be able to use their name, but you couldn't, well, a big company like that, you wouldn't be able to name your channel Brown Hair Stevens. But that said, you wanna dial in as much flexibility. So if anything changes, you're not going to be stuck. Okay. Makes sense. I, I, I'm totally vibing with you there. So let's continue. Um, you, <laughs> sorry for, for veering off topic there. No, that's not um, Yeah. Um, so um, we were talking about posting your first video. And as you mentioned, don't expect a ton, especially on YouTube. You can often get traction pretty quickly on other, other short form platforms. Um, but YouTube is, it's, it's an asset worth building. So let's continue along that line of thought. Sure. I think one of the things you have to, with any kind of content marketing, mostly between audios, between audio and video, is that you kind of have to look at content marketing as a very long game, right? You're not going to see results right away. And you have to accept that fact and really put down, put a stake in the ground, make a commitment. The way I did it was I said, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. I'm going to post a video a week for an entire year before I even give myself the opportunity to stop if I wanted to. And at that point I will reassess because I know, I knew that it takes that long to get any sort of traction at all. And that was probably the smartest thing I could do. And one of the reasons is, is because it's not like 
I use the analogy of like a music concert, right? It's not like a music concert where the, the audience buys their ticket, they file in, they wait for the act to come on, the act comes on, they start playing, everyone's excited, the act stops, they clap, and the act leaves, and then the people go home. Content marketing is almost exactly the opposite, which is you are the act and you're getting up on the stage before anyone has come into the auditorium and you're playing your heart out and you play for maybe 20 minutes, half an hour before the first person starts to come in. And then people start to fil filter in and maybe they call their friend on the phone. They, get, they say, hey, there's this great concert going on. Come on down. And then the concert hall fills up. And then at, you know, after the concert's over, they might pay you. Right. And then they leave. Yeah. And so you have to kind of, you have to learn that you have to go up on stage and you have to play your heart out for a long period of time before anyone's ever going to even notice you or certainly not getting paid for it. And so that's what I try to tell people about content marketing. You have to expect you're playing to an empty audience. Now, the great part about that, Tim, is that when you're just starting off your first 20 videos, 50 videos are going to really suck. And so the great part about that is that no one's going to see those first 10 or 15, 20 videos. And so you can get the kinks out. You can get your personality dialed in. You can kind of get more comfortable in front of the camera, get more conversational. And then when people start filing in, you're going to be a little more, you know, a little more ready to go. And so that's one of the things about starting a YouTube channel. I try to impress upon people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, what kind of timeline are you looking for to, to pivot? Like, how do you know if you're creating the right content for your audience or if you're even going in the right direction? Well, the first thing that I did when I started my channel was I contacted all my friends and family and I said, I'm starting a YouTube channel come on and subscribe. You don't ever have to watch a single video. I'm not asking you to just subscribe to my channel. So I don't have zero subscribers. And luckily within, you know, a week I had a hundred subscribers. So at least, you know, my friends and family showed up for me. And, you know, then you, you put out your content and you pay attention to all of your analytics, like how long people are watching, what the drop-off rate is, all of these things that if you're just a casual YouTube watcher, you have no idea what YouTube can show you as a content creator. There are a tremendous amount of analytics that are visible to you as a YouTube creator that tell you what people are doing as they watch your videos. How long do they come on? When do they drop off? what part of the world are they from? What gender are they? What age are they? You can get all sorts of information on demographics, location, et cetera. And you pay really close attention to the number of views you get on your videos and thumbs up, thumbs down, any kind of comments. Um, I highly recommend that you engage with your comments. Answer, especially in the beginning, answer every single comment that you get even if it's just, hey, thanks for watching my video. Um, because YouTube sees all, YouTube sees everything. Every, you know, if you're engaging with your audience and they're engaging with you, they will promote your content more. Mm -hmm. I answered every single comment I got with for, for the first, I would say three or four years before I got up to like 100,000 subscribers, I 
answered tens of thousands of comments and YouTube, you know, rewards you for that. The other thing about this, and this is more pursuant to your question, Tim, is that people tell you things. They tell you what they like. They tell you what they don't like. If you're answering their comment and they say, wow, great video, you could reply to their comment and say, hey, what was it, what was it about this topic, this thing that you liked? And they're like, oh my God, he actually asked me a question. He actually responded to my comment. And most people are shocked that you're actually responding. And then you can start a conversation with them and find out what it is that they liked about it. And you find out what things people like, what they don't like, you amplify and, you know, um, advance things that are, are um, you know, performing and you sunset things that aren't. And the other thing you start doing is you watch your competition. So you watch people who are in your space, in your category, and you look at their channels, go to their channel page, sort it by popular videos, most watched, right? And you look at the top 20 videos on their channel. And then you may do your version of it. There's absolutely no uh, shame in copying. And I don't mean copying like copy and paste their script. But what I am saying is that if there are themes or topics that they're doing a video on that you could do your take on or your take in your city or your take with your point of view, leverage that topic, you know, do, do your own particular take on it. And you, you'll learn a lot as you do that. The other thing you want to do is every time you're about to post a video, make sure that you, um, make sure that you search the title. So put, enter the title of what you're going to call your video into the search bar in YouTube and see what comes up for that title. And there may be, you know, 15 other videos on five things to watch out for when renting an apartment, right? And pay real close attention to how people are titling their videos because your title might not actually be the best performing sort of title. And you're gonna learn more about how to title your videos and keywords and that sort of stuff. I also really recommend that people use a tool, either vidIQ or TubeBuddy, which are both YouTube plugins for browsers. So, and it's, you, you can use a free version, but I recommend the paid version. And it's only like $15 a month or something. It's not super expensive. And that those plugins get you a tremendous amount of, of uh, analytic information. So you can search a title that you're thinking about, you know, naming your video. And it'll give you a whole range of like information about that, about, you know, whether it's heavily searched for, whether it's a great topic or not, whether you should probably call it something else or leverage a different keyword. And those are also all the nerdy sorts of things around data and, and, um, and, 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 uh, and content that you have to start to learn about and really pay attention to as you're starting your channel for it to grow faster. Absolutely. Um, I love how you said it. Don't be embarrassed to copy. I mean, but I believe it was Picasso, right? He's like, it was great artist steal, um, good artist borrow, or something like that. And it's so correct. Um, what I like to do is, is I look at other people's titles almost more than anything. I feel like one of the, the titles, one of the most important parts, and I'm certainly not on your level or anywhere close to it yet. It but if I can take a title that's performing really well, I won't even watch the video. I'll just create my own thought process on it. And then I'm not copying anything except for the title. And I know it's proven to work. Um, I would love to get into the analytics a little bit. Um, obviously, everybody knows who Mr. Beast is. And he's a big fan of click-through rate and watch time. What are the analytics that you spend the most time looking into? 
Uh, I look at watch time mostly. And, and also to be honest with you, I watch the, I pay attention to the themes that people are viewing. So literally views, um, and number of comments as well. Um, and those are real basic analytics that can help drive your, your content and your content themes. Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, I think that we would uh, event. Oh, here's the thing, Tim, I wanted to kind of circle back to. And that is one of the values of having a YouTube channel is that Google owns YouTube and mm -hmm. you can't look at YouTube as being a social media platform. It's not. YouTube is basically the second largest search engine in the world. Google is the first, YouTube is the second. And I'll give you a great example of this. I did a video called, uh, what does a creative director do, right? Did pretty well, got like a 75,000 views or something like that. Within about two months, when you searched the word creative director on Google, my video was the first thing that popped up in Google images. And when you search something on Google, it always shows you some images and it shows you some YouTube videos and it shows you a bunch of text results for websites and stuff, right? So my video showed up as the first result on page one of Google for videos, but it also showed up as the first image in Google images, which was blew my mind, like completely blew my mind. Because when you looked at Google images and you searched the word creative director, my video thumbnail was the number one result followed by like 75 black and white pictures of really famous creative directors. And that kind of like reset my entire understanding of like what YouTube can do for SEO. And so because I, my channel is really heavily focused on branding, strategy, design, entrepreneurship, those sorts of topics. And I'm, and I'm really targeted about that. And now I have 450 videos up on those topics. When you search just about any topic around branding, design, or strategy, my videos are usually within the top 10 results on Google, not just YouTube, but on Google. And that is massive. So if you are in a niche category like real estate and you really put your back into it, not only are you going to start showing up on, on YouTube in pe when people search certain things, but you're going to start showing up on Google when people search those things. And that will, you know, amplify your, your visibility um, massively. Um, let's talk about that. Um, I love getting into SEO. Like, how do you get YouTube and Google to talk to each other in that way? Because I know, is it mainly based on, on YouTube SEO or is it a good idea to embed that video on a blog? I would love some feedback here because I have a video that's ranking on page one of YouTube for living in Joliet. But I don't really know how I did it. Um <laughs> There's nothing you have to do. Short answer, they it's magic. It's like YouTube and, and Google are like their brothers and they live in the same apartment, essentially. It's like they, you don't have to do anything. As long as you're posting on YouTube and you're using keywords in your, you know, you set up some keywords when you're posting the video in your metadata, then Google will see that and Google will start to serve up your video when people search for those terms. You don't have to do anything. Okay, tremendous. Well, let's keep diving into SEO then. Um, what are good, well, how do you do your keyword research and how important is tagging nowadays? Because I hear conflicting reports on this. It's like some tagging, people say tagging is not important. Some people say it's still important. Yeah, it, it used to be very important. It has, it has, I'm not going to say ceased to be important, but it's definitely gone down the totem pole in terms of, 
of importance. One of the things that um, has increased in importance is actually what's in the video. And this is one of the things I was out in the social media marketing world this year, and I was listening to a, an expert on, on YouTube videos and from YouTube. And one of the things that they were saying was that because of the explosion of AI is that YouTube actually can, in, and you know, now if you post a video on YouTube, it can automatically transcribe it in real time, you know, so people can see, uh, you know, captions, et cetera. Um, but one of the things that you don't understand or see is that Google is actually looking at and categorizing what is actually happening in your video. So how many cuts there are, how much, you know, B roll you have, how many text animations you have, what those text animations say, like, for instance, uh, in my early videos, I would have me as a talking head, but I'd kind of cut across to some text slides or some, you know, some PowerPoint sort of slides to explain what I was talking about. Google now will read those images, not just text, but it will read the images. Like what is that image of? And it will categorize that video uh, around everything that is seeing and understanding that's in the video. So paying attention to, you know, how many, um, you know, how many uh, jump cuts or how many scene cuts or how much text you have or um, how many visual images or how much you're moving or how much there's zooms going on. All those sorts of things are seen by YouTube now. And you want to pay attention to making sure that your production quality is as good as possible. And you're paying attention to what the actual content is not, not just in terms of the information that you're putting across, but the, the, um, the production quality of the entertainment value, essentially. Everyone who listens to our show knows Matt and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times you have watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. And the results prove this. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secret that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is why we have opened up a few one-on-one -on -one coaching slots with Freedom Chasers Coaching, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are and where you want to go and most importantly, how you want to get there, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are, where you want to go, and how you want to get there. The benefit of working with Matt and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 successful people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten the inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We are able to work with you to pick the strategy that will fit the best and then help you create the custom plan and steps to take you quickly into financial freedom. The fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Absolutely tremendous. Do you have any rules of thumb in regards to that production quality? I know um, pattern interrupts are so important on YouTube and being able to, you know, motion on camera, the B-roll and stuff like that. Any just general rules of thumb that somebody could follow 
Yeah, let me, I'll give you a couple ideas for people who are just starting off. So if you've been on YouTube for a while, your production value has already gone, gone up. But when you're just starting off, a lot of people are just starting off with a, you know, a talking headshot or a handheld, you know, cell phone camera um, on themselves. And if you're a talking head within a minute or so, people are going to kind of be bored at, at the fact that nothing's happening and they'll start looking around the room like what's behind you and what does he have on and, you know, stuff like that. And so you have to give them and, and people are so conditioned to so much movement and so much visual stimulation from, from television that we watch and from, you know, online videos, you have to create just a little bit of movement. And one of the things that you can do is if you use a higher resolution camera, like a 4k camera that you're recording with, you can take, you know, a static shot of you, you know, standing, if you're a real estate person standing in a, you know, a room, and then you can in post, meaning when you're editing the video, you can create a fake zoom. Essentially, you will, you know, cut that, splice the, the footage, zoom in on yourself. And if you have a higher resolution camera, you can zoom in without using, losing resolution. And you zoom in and you reframe it like off to the left or right a little bit. And then you do a couple seconds with that zoomed in shot and then you zoom it back out again. So you can create essentially fake zooms from one static sim single shot that will create some visual movement and interest. Just the fact that the scene's changing and the focus is changing. There's a lot of video editing programs now you know, Premiere Pro and Final Cut and stuff like that. That can also do slow pans in and out um, automatically if you set that up. So um, that can create some visual interest. And then it's also good. You can always just put some slides in there or some B-roll from stock houses um, to illustrate what it is that you're talking about just to create some scene changes, even if the video is really is really simple. Absolutely. Do you have a rule of thumb for how often a pattern interrupt should happen? I've been told by other people that five to seven seconds is good. And obviously you want to mix that up a little bit. You don't want to do zoom in, zoom out only different camera angles or B-roll or something like that. But is five to seven a good benchmark? It kind of depends on what the video is, because if you're do like I do generally talking head videos, so it's primarily me just talking to the camera. I may be showing some slides or some this or that or the other thing, but if I was to do a, a jump cut or some sort of a zoom every five seconds, it gets really obnoxious after a while. Um, so it really depends on the sort of video that you're doing. The one thing I would say though is that you want to create a, a, something happening every five to seven seconds within the first. 30 seconds of the video is a good idea because that will actually keep people from dropping off within five or 10 seconds. And one of the things that, that YouTube pays close attention to is if people are dropping off your video very, very quickly, that is the kiss of death. And so one of the things that people have learned to do is create, you know, kind of a higher level of production value and visual interest within the first 30 seconds to a minute of a video. And then it can actually trail off because that means if people are staying past a minute, that means they're interested and they're not going to need that kind of eye candy in order to stay. They're really staying for the content. And so, um, Early on, if you're going to, you know, put your back into it, do that within the first 30 seconds to a minute of your video.
Okay, tremendous. So this leads right into my next thought. Um, obviously, perfection is the enemy of progress, but it's one of those things where you have to constantly be improving. A lot of YouTube creators will say 1% better every video, right? Because that compounds over time. But it's like how much emphasis, especially early on, because I'm assuming most people that are listening are fairly early in their journey, do you put on the production over the fact of just doing it? I put all of the all of the importance on just doing it for I would say the first 50 videos. It's really about consistency. So the other thing that that YouTube pays very very close attention to is consistency. So if you are posting a bit I would say at the minimum you should be posting a video every week. Now with Reels, um not Reels, Shorts for YouTube, sorry, Instagram hiccup. Um for shorts, shorts are really easy to do. So you can, you know, use your phone and record a short. And so post a long form video um, once a week and maybe do one or two shorts that are not produced and kind of off the cuff. And you can be posting, you know, easily two or three videos a week. And if you do that over a year, you know, even if you do that within three or four months, YouTube will start to recognize that, oh, this person is engaged, they're posting regularly, I'm gonna promote their content more. I'm gonna show their content more in search. If you are very haphazard about posting, you post a video and then you wait two weeks and then you post three videos and then you wait a month and then you post one and then you wait three weeks and then you post three, that kind of inconsistency is something that YouTube will, I, I'm not going to say it will penalize you for, but it really values people who are showing up like a television show, essentially. Okay. That makes a ton of sense. Oh, so and I, I'm sorry. I'll circle back. I forgot to answer your other question, Tim, which was about production value. Prior, I said prioritize just getting a video up consistently for the first year, for the first 50 videos. Uh, don't worry about production value. Your production value will naturally improve just by your having to watch and edit your videos <laughs> for 50 videos. Um, but it's really more about like, what is your content? What is the value that you are bringing to the table to YouTube? Like, what are you teaching, sharing? How are you entertaining? Who is your audience? What do they want to watch? You really want to pay really close attention to what is your content about? What is that value that you are bringing? And, and, and getting really clear on what your people want to see. And then worry about, you know, production value as, as time goes on. Absolutely. 100% agreed. Um, I would encourage anybody that's doing any type of video content to, to watch some game film. You know, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady got amazing in what they're doing because they watched themselves at an obsessive level. And as you mentioned way at the beginning, you're going to find a lot of things about yourself that you had no idea about. Like I furrow my brow a lot and I look very angry when I'm not angry at all. I'm just thinking, and it's just like, wow, I need to work on that because I'm sure other people are getting the wrong impression when they're talking to me and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's, there's so much room for improvement and, and I'm, most people never see themselves that much. <laughs> so it, it's just a good thing to do. I would love to talk about like short verse midterm mid form content. Um, what I tell a lot of people is short form content, a wonderful way to get a lot of people to know who you are and what you do, but it's not the best way to get them to actually trust you or, or really move forward in any capacity, right? So what is like the good balance of short versus mid or long form content and, and how would you structure that? I think it's, it kind of depends on your content for one thing, because there are some people who do, you know, kind of more 
uh, entertainment level content, you know, and they maybe short form might work better for them. The one thing I would say in terms of subscribership and getting people to actually click a subscribe button and click a notifications bell so they actually get an email or they get an alert when you post something new, that's really only going to happen with long form video. Like one of the things that they've discovered, and they used to think that you could drive people from short form to click a subscribe button or go to someone's channel to subscribe. And there we're really finding out that that's not the case. Like when people are on a short form binge and they're just, you know, thumb scrolling through videos through one minute videos, they are not going to someone's channel and subscribing. They are doing it for entertainment or a quick hit of education or whatever it is that they're doing, but they're on to the next one before you can blink. And so I, I would highly recommend people in your category, in the real estate category anyway, to um, to definitely do long form video. And when I say long form, I mean anything from three to, I, let me adjust that. I would say anything from five to 15 minutes. Like the really nice sweet spot for YouTube for long form is like between 10 and 15 to 20 minutes long. Um, and in order to do that, you've got to have, you know, you got to be showing up with some content and have, have something to say. Short form is great for getting eyeballs and um, showing up in search and increasing your brand recognition in terms of people knowing you when they see you and, and getting a sense of your personality and what it is that you even share about. But when it comes down to it, if you're talking about SEO and, you know, short form isn't going to do anything for you in terms of SEO. It's not like Google serves up shorts when you search a term. It never does. It only sh shows you uh, long form. So I, in terms of balance, I would say at least one th third long form, two thirds short form. And if you were strapped for time, I would say don't even worry about short form. All right, tremendous. So I'm gonna dial this way back kind of towards the beginning um, when we were talking about fear. Um, I think like video skills improve at a faster rate than almost anything, as long as you're putting intentionality to it. It's like, what? What kind of time frame do you tend to see when you're working with somebody on creating content? Like, I mean, I think in 30 days you could make a bigger leap than anything if you just spend like an hour a week on it. But I'd love your context there. Uh, getting that's really it's it's very individual in terms of. I mean, there are people who are who are petrified of seeing themselves on video and they bristle and can't even look at the screen when they're looking at the recordings of themselves. And then there are people who are pretty okay with it. And then over time they, they get more okay with it and they learn to dial up their personality and develop an on kind of camera persona. But it really depends on how, how adverse you are in the first place uh, to it, to how long it's going to take to kind of, to get comfortable. Okay, makes a ton of sense. I'd love to transition here into content ideas. Yeah. Um, what kind of ideas, like how do you start creating content? And, and anybody that gets past the fear, it's like you're going to run into a, what we'll call writer's block to a degree. It's like, oh, I don't know what to film now. Um, what kind of ideas would you be doing? And let's lean into real estate a little bit so we're a little niche focused. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, what I recommend people do is that when you're about to start your channel, you sit down and you write anywhere from eight to 10 themes. And then those are themes of your content. So for real estate, that might be location. It might be price. It might be um, 
you know, whether it's a value property or luxury property, it might be, uh, you know, the type of property, maybe it's a, you know, a condo as opposed to a, a purchase property or a or apartment as opposed to a freestanding building, um, whatever the things, it could be financing, it could be, you know, whether it's for a couple or whether it's family friendly. I mean, whatever your themes are around the topics that you think you can talk about, think of those in terms of big buckets, right? So your themes are buckets. And then after you get those eight themes down, then you want to write down four to five ideas for videos for each of those buckets. So if you have 10 themes and you have five ideas per theme, you got 50 videos idea ideas right there. You have your fir first 50 videos figured out. Um, and if you're stuck for like what your themes are, again, YouTube's your friend. Go on, start searching videos in your category around, uh, around keywords that you might be using. Look at the videos that come up, kind of back, you know, back engineer, like what those videos are about, what those themes are and, uh, and come up with some topic ideas. And then in terms of content ideas, uh, and approaches for, for, uh, real estate, <clears throat> there can be, you know, educational content is always great, right? So one of the things that you can do is try to educate who your customer is. So figuring out who your customer avatar is and then teaching them about real estate. So real estate terms could be, it could be real estate concepts. It could be, um, you know, different types of real estate, commercial real estate, residential real estate, you know, investment rental real estate and educating who your customer is about the real estate business. What this does is it positions you as someone who's knowledgeable and someone who's expert in your field. So they develop what I like to call, I kind of coined this term, subliminal reciprocity, which is that when you educate people over time, they build up a kind of an, a need, a want to like return the favor. And they will do that by following you, hit the subscribe button, possibly even contacting you for business down the line. But you're building up some brand equity with those people by educating them. Another thing that you could do is testimonials. So if you have a real estate business, you could interview some of your old customers about what it was like working with you or, you know, what their experience was as they went through the process. What was the most fun? What was the toughest part? What was the thing where they had the most anxiety? And, uh, and what that will do also is we'll showcase who your sort of customer avatar is. So people can identify it. They're like, oh yeah, I totally felt that, or I, I feel like I'm like that person. So maybe this, this agent is going to be a really great fit for me. So showcasing testimonials, you can also obviously do property showcases. So you could, you know, walk through different sorts of properties and talk about the different aspects of them, pr pros, cons, things to watch for if you're actually shopping in that sort of a market. Um, if you, uh, before we went on, Tim, you were talking about, you know, expertise in a particular market, right? So that's one thing you could do is you could also show your local expertise in the particular geographic area that you are, or the city that you're in and showing that you're super knowledgeable about all of the different neighborhoods and what are the pros and cons and where there are schools and where there's entertainment and when there's the bars and the restaurants and all that sort of stuff. And really, um, highlighting your knowledge about the, the, uh, the city or the area that you live in. Um, 
there are, you know, you could also do interactive lives. So lives are one of the things that people love to do. So, I mean, you could go live on your phone when you're walking into a new property and just like record what your, what your impressions are as you go through it. Another thing that I was thinking about before we actually jumped on was like, real estate is almost like car sales. It's like one of those things that you, it, it's like a necessary evil. Like shopping for real estate is fun when you're like on your phone and you're like going, oh, it'd be great to live there. But then when you're in the process and you're buying a property, it can be like nails on a blackboard. It can be very scary and it can be very painful in negotiating prices and dealing with previous owners and all that sort of stuff. It's not something that people are like dying to do, <laughs> at least from the, at least from the uh, consumer level. And so as a real estate um, salesperson or a company or an investor, one of the things that you can do is, you know, figure out how do I make my customer avatar feel more comfortable? How do I tell them the truth, the dirty secrets of my industry, the things that are going to help them get through the fear barrier or get, or, or learn the thing that they knew that they, they need to know. So they're not screwed over in their next transaction. The more kind of honest and super transparent you are about your industry, you might want to do a video on all the things the other real estate agents tell people that you would never tell people. Right? So like, what's the truth? How do you get people to trust you? How do you be radically transparent? And in doing that, you're also showing a level of your personality, right? And people, the thing I always like to say is that people don't do business. People do business with people. They don't do business with companies. And so the more you can humanize your company and your industry and yourself and build your own personal personality around your personal brand, the more successful that you're going to be. And the other thing I'll just tack on to that is that in this world of absolute polish where, you know, a teenager in their bedroom can produce a YouTube video that like looks like something coming out of Hollywood, being radically transparent and a little rough around the edges and really truthful and showing people behind the curtain of your industry is something that people love. Like they really gravitate towards that sort of stuff in this age of like super polish. So in some cases, the less polish you have, the more credible you actually appear. Absolutely. And you've touched on a lot of ideas that are proven in the real estate industry already, like pros and cons of, of neighborhood or suburb or whatever, moving in, living in. Uh, the truth about, <laughs> I wish I knew this before I moved here. Stuff like that really works really well. And people are searching for that. Um, another thing that, that works really well, I think for almost any service-based business, um, is writing down what your customers are asking you all the time and then answering those questions. Because not only do you get, you get the Google search juice as well as the YouTube ju search juice. And if they're asking you in person, they're probably thinking and searching it. Um, so that's all tremendous. Um, I'd love to ask you kind of a clickbaity question here. You're a brand expert. So like, what are three things that you think most people are getting wrong about branding? Uh, well, it, I would, I would turn that on its head and said, kind of like, what are the three, you know, cardinal rules of branding? The first one is I, I, I essentially, I have this, I have this, this kind of uh, acronym. It's the, it's the three R's. And it's being recognized, being remembered or recalled, and being revered. 
That is the process of branding. The first thing you have to do in branding is you have to be recognized. People have to understand that what they're seeing is you. And so that's why people develop color palettes. That why, that's why people develop brand names. That's why they, uh, that's why they develop logos. That's why they develop signature thumbnail styles or signature social media graphic styles or signature ways of talking or editing their videos. You want to look at your branding, your visual branding and establish a visual brand that you're going to use super consistently everywhere you show up and change it very, very infrequently. And you do that because in this world of thumb scrolling on mobile devices, you're going to show up about a half an inch by three quarters of an inch, 90% of the time in people's feeds. And so your visual branding, you have to be able to show up so consistently that when people are flipping by your thumbnails or by your social posts, that when they see you, after they see you like three to five times, they're actually going to be able to go, oh, that's that guy, right? From X company. And so you want to establish a visual brand, A. B, you want to show up super, super consistently so you can be recalled. And then you have to deliver the thing. You have to deliver your good, your product, your service with absolute consistency as well and make sure that you're delivering the, the experience that your customers are expecting. And over time, that will help you be revered or, you know, respected and help you become successful. Um, you know, the kind of, I, I, I have this great tool. I'm going to give it away to your listeners. Um, it's called a personal brand wheel. And what it is, is it's basically an evaluation tool that people can use to assess their personal brands or, or their, their, even their digital, what I call digital ecosystem. And kind of the first thing you have to do is you have to develop your story. Like what's your purpose? What's the value that you're bringing to the table? What's the foundation of your business? The next quadrant is really your presence, your omnipresence. Where are you showing up? Your brand design, your website, your social media platforms. The next quadrant is engagement. And this is another thing that's really important that people don't pay enough attention to. And I alluded to it when I was talking about the fact that I'd answered every single comment I'd gotten for the first three years on my YouTube videos was that social media is not a one-way street. It is increasingly becoming incredibly important to engage, engage in the comments, ask questions, listen to the answers, create a back and forth where you're really engaging with the people who are consuming your content and make it a conversation because that's what builds community. That's what builds brand affinity and love for you and your content. And then the next, the next part of that is that you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're, you're showcasing and showing that transformation that you've created. So by delivering your product or service, you are then transforming people's lives and you want to make sure that you're documenting that. And in one of the video themes that I mentioned was like, how do you do like a, you know, would you do a live session with a customer? You do a, you know, a, a walkthrough of some sort of a testimonial with someone. How do you document those transformations in people's lives that you're creating? Because people have to be able to see themselves and what it is that you're providing. 
So it's all academic when you talk about your value and everything you know, but until you start showing how it's transforming people's lives, it's difficult for people to see themselves in it. So that's kind of the next and last quadrant is like, how are you going to, to illustrate that transformation? Absolutely, Philip. Um, this has been absolutely tremendous. I wish I could talk to you for, for so much longer. Obviously, I'm, I'm greatly interested in every, everything that you're talking about right now. Um, you mentioned the, the brand wheel. Um, yeah. Anybody else that wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to do so? Yeah, the, the personal brand wheel, you can download it. It's a PDF. It's got description of how you use it. And uh, if you go to philipvandusen.com slash PBW for personal brand wheel, you can download that PDF. Um, and it's on my website, philipvandusen.com, where you can learn everything there is to know about me. And it's got links to all my content and my social and all that sort of stuff. There we go. There you have it, everybody. I encourage you all to check it out. I certainly will be. Um, Philip Van Dusen, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is accomplished one action at a time. So go out there and make some videos. Commit to doing 50 videos within a year. Don't focus on production quality. Just focus on getting it done, and you'll be amazed how much better you get within that year frame. Um, tell somebody you know that will help hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 